Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zhou, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTV. This week's message is brought to us by senior pastor Clint Shamblin. He's preaching from Matthew chapter 27, verse 62, through chapter 28, verse 10, and 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 24. Uh, now we get to come uh, to the Easter sermon, which we get to proclaim Christ risen and what he has done for you and I and the world and sin in totality and how that changes you and I. And, and what I want to do is I want to cover a, a few things. The two passages that were read, one of Christ's death and his resurrection and the proclamation I can't hear enough of. But the second one, maybe you haven't heard before, Elijah, a prophet of God, uh, is interacting with a woman whose child is dead and the child comes back to life after Elijah prays over the child. Uh, one is of Christ's deed done. As he said on the cross, it is finished. And when he rolled the stone away, it was for you and I to receive this new life. The second one, uh, the passage from Kings, tells us something that maybe, maybe we can relate to. The first one, Christ risen and those, the, the tomb opened and his continual life now seems very high, very, very, very much in the clouds. Yes, that's great, but I'm not Jesus. I'm not God. Look how great he is. The second one, maybe we can relate to, and I want to pull out how resurrection is a concept from God's people from the beginning to the end and how you might relate to the king's passage, how you might be actually the mom in that story. And I want to show you what that looks like. Um, There's three things I want to do today. I want to keep it short because we got food to get to. Uh, I want to proclaim the gospel clearly to you as, as explicitly as I can. And the last thing, I want to invite you, if you have not received that faith, to receive that faith. Those are the three things I want to do, and here's how I want to get there. I want to show you what resurrection life is, and resurrection is life. It is actual faith, actual faith, not theory, actual faith. And then lastly, it is new. And because of these three things, because it is life, it is actual, and it is new, what it should do to us is we should have a deep and desperate longing for it. We should be pregnant, expectant of the glory that God has for us, and then we should have a deep meaning. We should be desperate and longing for it. We should have anticipation, expectancy, pregnancy with it. And then lastly, a deep meaning. Before I do that, I do this every single Easter that I have a message. So if you've stuck around, if you will stick around COTV for a while, you're going to hear this next Easter and the Easter after and the Easter after that. There's something that's really, really important within the Easter message because as Key and Opal and maybe you are experiencing, when we think of this Jesus guy, when we think of faith, Two things come to mind. Option one, is it true? Now, that was, that was my generation's gift to America and the authors. Is it true? The Case for Christ was a, a book that you had to read if you were in church at a certain time. Lee Strobel was a hero amongst all. This, this book that said, here, let me plot down. The History Channel did a whole series on Jesus and how actually the Red Sea parting could have been physically possible given the certain climate and the winds and the shallowness and... It's a whole thing, because we wanted science. We wanted fact. And then there's another part of Jesus, and, and what he does is, is this artistic endeavor, this relational endeavor. Now, I want to show you, now, no matter what side of that you're on, no matter if you're a more uh, logical brain or not, uh, if you're an artistic brain, we're all a little bit of both. Something incredible happens within this passage of Jesus' resurrection that I want to show you to show you the Bible is true 
and that Christ really rose from the dead. And we could see it in one instance, and that instance is Mary. Mary is the first person to proclaim the risen Christ. Now, for us today, there's no scandal in reading that. Maybe if you heard the passage or you read the passage, you think, yeah, Mary went to the tomb. She heard the risen Christ. She went and she declared it. What's scandalous about that? Everything. Everything. Let me, sh- let me, let me unpack this both scientifically and both artistically. One, I know that Christ really rose from the grave because of the proof of Mary being allowed to be the first. Christ inviting her. Christ gifting her. Please go. Go, Mary. Speak of me. Because back in that time, uh, women were not even good witnesses in court. As a matter of fact, if you went to court and you called a woman to, to testify, the court would say, that means nothing to us. It means nothing. Her word is meaningless. Okay, so get your next testimony up. When Mary goes to the disciples, when Mary is the one gifted by Christ to proclaim this news, if Christianity is a big fat lie, if Christianity is a myth, it's a fraud, it's opioid for the masses, if all of that is true, the leaders of the Christian church picked the absolute wrong person to declare that he was risen. It would be, it would be as though we chose a 20-time felon who was lied under oath countless times in court just to get a new deal, was the one to tell you, no, you can trust me, Christ is risen. You're like, nope, that's completely a lie. The fact that Mary was gifted this by Christ shows me something. It shows me something incredible. It shows me that Christ is truly alive because of the witnesses he uses. Because even with the least trustworthy person, it's still caught on. Little, I get to preach the gospel and speak on behalf of Christ. You get to speak on behalf of Christ. This is scandalous. The almighty, perfect, and sovereign Lord chooses broken vessels like you and I to proclaim the message. It's wild. The second thing that I understand about this artistic ability, why I know the Bible is true. We may think to ourselves, if, if this is you, if you're not of faith or you're newer to faith or, or you're still processing faith, you might look at the Bible and say, well, the Bible was clearly edited. Clearly people went back and, and put some things in. They got the whole story and then they went back and they compiled all the stuff and they put it and they, they, they communicated what they wanted to communicate. Uh, there's a, a book that I just got done reading. It's a fantastic book. It's, it's about the New Testament authors and the, the literature. Now this is the artistic side. The literature of the New Testament. No time in the history before our current context. Now, today, we read books and we read things like this. There's artistic flavor in them. There's, there's literary devices for all the time. You read a good book and there's, there's this climax, there's this archetype, and then there's this resolution that comes down and everybody's happy and everybody leaves and, and maybe the antagonist or the protagonist. All of that we know a good deal about in literature. As in the... In Rome, in the time the Bible was written, there was not a lick of a shred of evidence that that type of literary device was ever used anywhere in the world. It means this. It means Christians were literally thousands of years ahead of their time writing about Mary coming and speaking on behalf to everyone else about a fictitious Jesus, a zombie who rose from the grave. Doesn't happen. Gods don't die. God's triumph. 
Gods don't come back to life. They, never, they, they either die and they're defeated and, and the new God takes over or they never died and they were just weakened state. This God says, or this, this Christian, this faith says, no, 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 God died and he rose from the grave. Thousands of years ahead of this time. Now, which one's most likely? Do we have anybody that's today that's saying, in 2,000 years, let me tell you what's going on. We should have had flying cars by now. And why isn't that the case? And why doesn't, why, why doesn't food get that little droplet of water on it and then it erupts into a full-blown meal? No one can do that. No one can predict that. I know God is true because he uses broken vessels like us to communicate his message, and it's still true. And secondly, it has to be because it cut against the culture and there's no concept of the ability of artistically to lie like that. So with that being said, those are the two things I want to encourage you Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, church, friends, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, do you know what that means for the entire message of Christianity? It's fraudulent. It's fraudulent. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, you know what you should believe about the Bible and Jesus and me? Nothing. You should pity me and be like, oh, wow, that guy. That guy's made his whole life on a lie, on a fraud. It's all going to come tumbling out. The bottom's going to just break open on it. But if, now this is very important, friends, this is so important. If Jesus raised from the dead, defeated it, rolled the tomb away, then everything he says is to be trusted. It's all or nothing based upon his death, burial, and resurrection into life. And if it is true, and it is true, then you can embrace everything he says. If it's not true, don't believe any of it. That's where I want you to come. I want you to answer Is this Jesus guy true because he rose from the grave? He defeated death. And if so, I can trust him. If not, I don't want to trust anything. That's the question I pose to you. That's what I give you. Let me show you then what resurrection is. Resurrection is first life. Now, this is where I want to go back to the King's passage. A prophet is being housed by a mom. Her son has died. And she comes and she says, what did I do to God to deserve this? She wants an explanation. She wants meaning. She wants understanding. She says, Elijah, I'm giving you free room and board. It's like if a missionary came back overseas, and many of you are families of missionaries or pastors, and you were to be put up into somebody gifted you a place to live for a couple months and, and cooked you food and gave you things. And then all of a sudden, just Day after day, the little things, it's like Groundhog Day, that movie. Little things just keep on happening to this person until it culminates into this big eruption of a family member dying. Now, friends, maybe you're like this woman. Because she says to Elijah, what did I do to upset God that he would do this to me? We're going to get to Elijah's response here in a moment. But do you think that God deserves to give you good things based upon your life? based upon how good you are, how studious you are, the tr- how moral you are, how, how thought-provoking your questions are, how deep you go into study, how much you fight for a cause. Because that's what this woman thought. This woman thought, I've gifted you things. I've put you up in a room board. I am serving God. How dare he take my son? Have you been there, friends? Where you think God owes you something based upon how good you are? And he would never, ever, ever take things away from you. He would never bring pain and hurt and travesty to your life. If that's the case, Christ would have never died for you and I. Because he was perfect. He was moral. 
He was the most thought-provoking. He was the most servant-minded. And death came to him. Death came to this woman, even in her service. And it wasn't the service that stopped it or brought it on. It just was. And I want you to look at Elijah's response because it's really, really informative to us. That's, maybe that's you. Maybe you're the mom. Maybe, maybe you have that understanding. But look at Elijah. Look at the prophet. Look at what he does. He's, he's desperate. And he pleads, God, don't do this. Resurrection life is a desperate life to see dead come awake, to see people no longer believe the unstable but the stable. For those who live an unhealthy lifestyle of thought, of actions, of morality, to live a better lifestyle in Christ, and they're desperate for it, and they will plead to God for it. Friends, are you desperate to see life happen? Are you unsatisfied with just getting on, just being, just day after day, or, or your dreams? Are you, are you satisfied that your dreams are big enough? Are you satisfied your hopes and your pleasures are big enough? C.S. Lewis has this incredible quote, this author. He says, much of our sin in life is not that we're so, so horribly immoral. It's actually that we're far too satisfied with simple things in life. We're like kids sitting in a mud pit making mud pies, being like, this is delicious. You're like, that's gross. We're far too easily satisfied. I think that, that is a bigger case study for us to say, I'm far too easily satisfied. I want better food. I want greater food. I want the things of God more than the things of me. Her son is dead and Elijah is desperate to bring life. See, life from dead things changes you. Like the empty tomb, if it's real, it changes me. And my, my tastes, my preferences, my desires are no longer the mud cakes that I make, but rather the life-giving things that God gives to me, the manna from heaven, the milk, the honey, the gloriousness that only he can give because he defeated death. If you try to make sense of God only intellectually or theologically or service or morality or action behavioralism, None of that will do anything. And we'll do a single thing. I promise you. Because you know what you'll say? Well, I'm so good that God, I deserve good life now. I'm, I'm, I fight for the cause so much that clearly God would never ask for me to become less. He would never do that. Yes, he would. How do I know? Because he asked Christ to do it. It's a new life that changes everything about you. The mom had everything switch. When Elijah prays over the son, he is dead. The mom says, I deserve good things. Bring life. Life comes. And all of a sudden, do you know what she, she housed a prophet of God. Do you think this is the first time that she heard God's message? Probably not. Uh, if you know anything about SNL, uh, there's the, the old church lady on SNL, Dana Carvey. Nope. Cool. Fantastic. I am that old. Um, go look on YouTube. Okay. SNL church lady. Uh, and it's this, it's, it's, he's, he's pretending to be an old church lady that, that is waving finger. How dare you? How bad you are? How awful? Let's pray. Let's keep away from immoral things. Let's only keep morality. Essentially, that's what this woman is. And she says, after her son comes back to life, after Elijah prays and the son comes back to life, do you know what she says then? Now I believe your message. Now I understand. Church, friends, you can go to church, you can hear every sermon, you can read every book, you can go to seminary and get a degree. And you will not be of faith unless you have life. It will all be for naught. 
You can fight for justice. You can, you can serve endlessly. You can give all your money to the poor. And what does scripture say? It's all a loud gong. It's all for naught. If you don't want to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Everything changed when she had life brought back to her. And then she said, ah. Friends, is that you? Are you waiting for the other shoe to drop? Are you waiting for the, the, the light to hit the room? If you are, the only way that will happen is if you have been given life, not intellect, service, fighting for a cause, morality. That will never bring life. The only thing that can is God's word breathing life into dead things. And here's how she got that. Here's how we get that. In church, this is the first half of the gospel. She didn't go to Elijah and say, Elijah, I'm a good person. I know that this, my son's only sleeping. He's only a little sick. Uh, if you've seen um, the movie The Princess Bride, uh, it's when they take Wesley into the see the doctor, uh, and Wesley's this main character, and he's suffered torture, and he is dead, um, or just a little dead, um, as they say, not completely dead. That's not what's going on here. This isn't some sort of medical trick in which he's not actually dead. He, he is dead. There's no more breath. It's over. It's gone. Church, I beg you, friends, the only way you'll ever experience life is if you have the audacity and the humility to say, my life is completely dead to the things of God. I don't do anything good for him. I do good things for me. And until that happens, you won't receive life. You won't do it. If, if you have a medical diagnosis, you'll never receive healing until you go to the doctor and say, doctor, I have cancer. It's hard to admit. It's hard to come to, but I'm dead and dying. And then the doctor can say, great, now that you see that, I can perform surgery on you. Now I can give you healing. How unloving would it be if somebody said, no, I don't, I don't have cancer. And you say, well, let's, let's radiate your whole body. Let's, let's, just, let's just cut you open. It'd be unloving. But the second somebody says, yeah, I'm not doing anything good. Ah, life can be given. Do you see, friends? Life only comes from death of self not added on to your life you already have. Life only comes to death to self, not added on to what you already have. That's the first thing. The second thing, faith becomes actual. Now, what I was trying to uh, tell you earlier uh, is, again, this, this Mary proclamation, this Mary being the first one to speak on behalf of Christ, this gospel account to all the rest of them. They didn't tell her, Mary, please show me your seminary degree before you continue on. They just, they believed. It was so scandalous. It was so incredible. She said it was such Holy Spirit empowerment that they were broken. They said yes, and they ran and saw Christ's tomb empty. And they met him later on the road. They saw him. He came into their room. His resurrected body was there. And the first thing we need to understand is this. Christ actually died, actually raised, actually showed himself to him. And we, church, will actually die, will actually raise and we'll actually see him again. It's not theory. It's not philosophy. It's not a good teaching moment. Christ's body is, was not put into a cryogenic... He wasn't Walt Disney, okay? He wasn't shoved in some cryogenic freezer somewhere only to be reanimated later. He was actually dead. And if that's the case, like I said before, if you actually grasp that he defeated death, it will change everything that you do in life, because now it's not a theory. Now it's not suggestions. Now, death defeated 
what more do you have to be scared of? What can life do to you? This is how all the apostles, this is how the disciples, this is how everybody was able to say, okay, come at me, world. What can you do? I got death defeated. Do you have something more final than death? No? Cool. Do your worst. See, if you and I want to actually see change happen in our world, if you and I actually want to see service happen, if you and I actually want to see relationships mended, do you know the easiest way to not get in fights with people, to not get in disagreements? If you stop caring about yourself. Uh, I just went on vacation down to a warmer climate in Florida. I came back. I stayed with a buddy of mine. He's a uh, pastor in Nashville. Uh, And the final night we were there, we stayed in this place, and it was like 1 o'clock in the morning, and his wife and my wife and us get into a shouting match over baptism. Like, we are in his kitchen table, and we are just, like, yelling at each other. The kids are waking up in the next room, crying out, like, why are you guys yelling? And like, because I know what baptism is, and he doesn't. And he was like, no, you're an idiot. I'm like, no, you're an idiot. Okay. First of all, don't do that. Just let pastors do that. We're morons. We get, we get really excited about it. And at the end of it, he goes up to his room. We say, okay, all right, at night. He goes up to his room, and I'm sitting at the kitchen table, and I'm typing my sermon. Uh, and I just kind of sit there, and I look out, and then he comes down, and he's like rifling through his bag, and he's like, where is that thing? Where is that thing? Where is that thing? And I'm like, he's not looking for anything right now. Him and I were both like, this is really awkward. And instantly, I looked at him and was like, I'm really insecure how I handled that, Daniel. I feel like an idiot. I didn't want it to go that way. I love you. I want to talk about the Bible. I never intended to it to get that way. And he goes, yeah, I completely understand. I was a moron. Case closed. I mean, we spent an hour and a half yelling at each other. And at the end of it, we're like, love you? Love you. Good. That was quick. That was easy. Do you know why? He didn't take himself too seriously. He didn't think, my way, my way, my way, my way, my way. Clinton idiot, Clinton idiot. All of those are true, but he didn't believe it. He just said, I'm going to look at myself. I'm not going to, I'm going to be willing and actually test this faith, this, this faith of mine that says, I must become less, he must become more. Christ did not, in theory, go to the cross. He didn't, in theories, just say, oh, I love you. Friends, do you do that sometimes, where you look at somebody and you say, oh, I love you, but there's no action involved, there's no actual words, there's no actual reality? The question is, do you really love that person? Or do you have affection for them? Christ didn't have affection only for us. He had affection and love that demanded service be physically carried out. Friends, imagine if your faith was actualized where it wasn't a theory, where the scripture that says don't go to bed angry with each other means that you rifle through a bag awkwardly (laughs) to try to like get my attention. And we say, we're not going to bed angry with each other. We're going to forgive and move on right now. Could you imagine if we took the words don't gossip because it brings death and we said, I will not speak an utterance of anybody else. That's not good. Could you imagine what that would look like in our lives? Could you imagine a world in which we were resurrected people that when we saw somebody else, we didn't just tell them? One of the most incredible things on ESPN that happened, nothing incredible happens on ESPN, but this was. 
There was a situation that happened that was a horrible, horrible travesty, and one of the anchors, instead of simply saying, hey, our thoughts and prayers go out to somebody, do you know what they did? They stopped the entire show, and they said, I'm going to pray for them right now. And he said, I don't care if you fire me. I'm going to pray. And he prayed live on national television. Do you know how incredible it would be if you were meeting a friend, you were talking with somebody, and they're like, I'm having a really hard time. Instead of saying, hey, how can I pray for you? And then walking off, you said, I'm going to pray for you right now. You're like, we're on the L train. I know, it's weirder stuff has happened on the L train, okay? I promise you. I saw it last night. It was wild. What if we did that? Do you know how much your life would change and how the lives of others around you would change if you took the words of Scripture so seriously that you did them because Christ really defeated death? It's not a theory. It's not a philosophy. It's not a suggestion, but it's real. I don't know what the world would look like, but friends, it is our command from Christ to do the service-oriented things to serve others at cost of self. Let me say that one more time, because if you're not of faith and you're checking up, kicking the tires on Christianity, I want to encourage you count the costs. Christianity is not something that you use to actualize power, status, prestige. Praise God, that world is leaving us. I I am unashamed on this point. (laughs) Praise God that that world is leaving us, where the church is no longer a power broker, but the church is a servant broker. What if your life was like that? Where you didn't say, what can I get out of faith? But rather, what has faith given me that I give to others? Everything changes when you actualize faith. Everything. He actually died. It means I must actually die. He didn't get his way. Father, don't send me to the cross. You're going to the cross. Okay. It means I don't get my way. That's how you stop having arguments with people. When you go, okay. Uh, We do premarital counseling sometime, and, and one of the things is like, we need to talk about communication. I want to communicate really well how, how we interact as couples. And I said, don't do that. That's so stupid. They're like, what? I'm like, it's not going to do you any good. They're like, I need to communicate what problems I have with them. No, you don't. <laughs> Share feelings. That's great. I promise you, in the best relationships, in the most intimate relationships, when somebody else looks at you and says, I'm an idiot. Will you forgive me? Do you know what happens to everything that bad happened before? It goes away. You're like, oh, we don't have a problem. Like, I know. Christ did that on the cross where he said, let me show you. I will take all the things onto me so that no one else will ever suffer. And it changed everything. Do you see, friends? That's, imagine if that's us. Lastly, it's new. Resurrection is new. Um, it's a new life. It's an actual faith. It's real. One of my favorite movie series that we watch with the children, uh, there's no Academy Awards that this has ever won, by the way. I'm going to tell you the, the series, and you're going to be like, wow, you are pathetic. And I go, I know. It's How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah, okay, good. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, praise God. <laughs> I love the series. It's a fantastic series. And here's why it's a fantastic series. There's a boy in it. His name is Hiccup. And Hiccup looks at these dragons that are floating around his island, flying around. And instead, what has been before has been, been fighting and, and, and take down the dragons. And he says, well, what if, I, what if I, like, befriend a dragon? What if instead of fighting the dragons, I befriend a dragon? One dragon he happens to find 
Uh, Toothless is the name of the dragon. Uh, he doesn't have teeth at some times in his life. That's why his name Toothless. I know, shocking. He finds that this dragon he's befriended doesn't have a back fin and he can't fly. So he helps him. He serves him. He creates something for him to stabilize him, to make him fly. Now in the story, he takes Toothless and they go out and they defeat this other giant dragon on this giant island on behalf of his family, his island, his people. He goes and he faces the enemy. He defeats the enemy. He brings it down. He kills it. He defeats it. But what happens in the process is he is maimed. He loses his foot. During the, during the fight, during the battle, during everything, what happens is that he loses his foot. And he has to get a prosthetic. And he has to get, he has to get uh, a, a, not a peg leg because he's an inventor. He uses a mechanical device that actually goes with his gait. It's actually wild. The reason I love it so much is more than likely because my son, because I see somebody who has a different gait. That's why I sympathize with it. But there's something magical about this. When you see somebody who fights for his people and comes away marred, comes away maimed, comes away bloody, comes away different. In the scriptures, it doesn't say, oh, yes, if you believe in this Jesus guy, if you accept him, your life is peachy keen. Everything just follows in line. It doesn't say that. Do you know what it says? It says, if they did this to Christ, imagine what they're going to do to you. If the perfect, all-seeing, all-knowing, servant-minded, completely moral, no-sin person was crucified on the cross, imagine what they'll do to you. Imagine what a death that says in scriptures, we died the death that he died, and we were raised to life in the life that he has. And it says that he appeared to people in a resurrection body. Now, I have no idea what that looks like. If you're like, well, was it real? Could I touch it? Is it, is it does it look the same? I, I have no idea. All scripture says is resurrected body. It does say later that he appeared to people and they didn't recognize him, so maybe it's different. I, I don't exactly know, but I do know this. It was different than when he died. If you're in Christ, your life is new. Do not get into Christianity if you want to keep your life the same. It won't be. Because the scriptures will tell you how to spend your money, your time, your relational equity, your career, your thoughts, all of them will come captive under Christ. And if you don't want that, if you want to say, well, I'll kick the tires on this Jesus guy, and, and, and maybe I'll take some good advice from him, he will tell you, I'm not an advice giver. I'm a life giver. And the life that I give you now is completely different. It's new than the life you had before. What does this do to us? Here's what it do. Here's what it does. If your life is new, if it's actual, and it's not death, here's what that must mean. Here's what it means for us, friends, if we're resurrected people. We are desperate to see life to dead things. Do you build up or do you tear down? Because Christ built up. He tore down himself to build up others. Will you do the same? Not because you have to, but because you see that he did it for you. Do you see that subtle difference? Do not say, I must serve because Christ served. You will perish in that. Instead, you say, I see the life that he gives. Because of the life that he gives, I now want to live the life that he has for me. It's totally different. Will you actualize it? Will you read scripture and instead of saying, well, I don't want to pray for people because it's really awkward on the L train. You just did it without ceasing. What if instead of arguing, I'll, I'll expose some of my theological disposition, 
The idea of praying for healing, really weird to me. Real bizarre. Do you know what scripture says when somebody's sick? Get the elders together, go anoint them with oil, and pray that they're healed. Do you know every single time I do that, how awkward I feel? (laughs) Real awkward. I start going, okay, maybe healing by invention and doctors. And what if I just said, you know what? I'm going to pray for healing and see what happens. Because scripture indicates that I should. Great, I'll do that. I'll let him sort out the difference. What if instead of saying, well, proclaiming Christ means that I subtly and gently give little pieces here and there. No, no, no. What if it means that you have a friend who's outside of faith and doesn't come to faith because they've never been told what faith is? What if we stopped trying to play this game of what does it really mean and said, well, I'll just follow it until otherwise stated? Conversation I have with my buddy. I believe in infant baptism. He believes in believer's baptism. And he said, Clint, it's right there in scripture. It says, repent, believe, be baptized. I'm like, yeah, so do that. He's like, well, where do you get off baptizing babies? And I made my argument. And when we reconciled, at the end of it, we said, what if we just repented, believed, and baptized people? And I said, cool, let's do that. <laughs> He's like, oh. Church, here's where I want to make it as explicit as possible. You and yourself are sinful, dead, and dying. Everything you do is for self without Christ. And the only way that you'll come to saving faith is if you see the way that he died for you and gave you life is good and glorious, and you're more accepted than you ever thought possible because of Christ's work on the cross and his defeat over death. And if you want that life that says, I am unstable in my world, he is stable by defeating death, then what you do is you say, I want to receive this Jesus and the faith that he has period. Friends, are you there? Have you done that? If you haven't, I beg you consider it. I beg you. I am desperate to see you come to faith because I know the reality that you were dead and dying and going to hell and have no things good in your life that are anything beyond yourself. So stop doing it. Stop playing the game. Would you? Please, I beseech you, as scripture says, because in it, you get new life a new identity that is actual, not theory. Church, during worship, uh, Pastor Ava and myself will be around. Uh, If that's you, come tell us. I'm going to say the same thing after service as well. After we're done singing, I'm going to say the same exact thing as I invite us to go eat. But if you have questions, oh, we love questions. If you have statements, we love statements. We love it all. But would you see, my life is not my own, but his, because he died for me and rose from the grave, and he is real. And if he is real, he defeated death, and everything that he says is good and glorious to take. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.